we are in a series on the book of John, and we're going to just uh, skip out for a week or two because it's Easter, and we're looking at all the implications of Easter. And so I want us to take some time this week um, to think about this whole idea. This upcoming week is called Holy Week, and uh, so I entitled this Holy Week when my plan and God's plan collide. All right, because I was thinking about that. We all have plans. We all have dreams. We have all have ideas of, of what we want to do, of, of what we want to accomplish. Um, I had the privilege um, to to play with uh, soccer, to play with a couple of people who played professional soccer for a living, and then and then coach years later, coach someone who then was drafted and played uh, soccer for a living, and and just to be with people who were at an upper uh, echelon of of athletics. And I remember sitting down and talking to a guy one time about how all this worked for him, you know, and, and he was just saying it was just an incredible amount of work. It was just an incredible amount of work. And when he described to me how much work he put into being a high-level uh, player of soccer, I was like, I, don't, I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't, I, don't, I don't have what it takes to do that. I mean, I don't know if I have, I don't think I have what it takes talent-wise, but I don't have what it takes mentally to discipline myself to do what this person was doing every day. And, you know, we have ideas of what we would like to do when we're young, especially we look up and think, and as we get older, we see some of those things crumble. And, and the I think, idea I think we, we think about a lot is what could I do? When you get older, you think, what could I have done? You know, what could I be? And this last week of Jesus's life, we're going to see something because I've met people working with with youth and working in sports for all these years, I've met people who, and they're like me, they don't have what it takes. They don't have the discipline to do what it would take to be excellent at something. They're clinging to a dream, but you can tell it's not going to happen. You know, And, and I think we have here in the Word of God, these disciples who have a total disconnect from reality. They have ideas, but they've totally missed it. They've been taught all their life what the Messiah is going to look like and what the Messiah is going to do, and and they could not let that dream go. They couldn't give up on that. They saw his power, and they tended to overlook the things that didn't jive with what they'd been taught all their lives. It's hard to change something that you've been <clears throat> taught all your life. It's hard to give up something that you may really want and give it up for what God says is important. And so Jesus has to, at times, get very plain. He has to get very direct. It's, it's, it's like teaching for dummies, right? We have all those books for that. And here's what he says in Mark chapter 10. There it goes. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So he makes this, I mean, you know, to us, we go, how plain, how much more plain could he make it? But we're not wrestling with what they're wrestling with. And the other thing is, it's very easy for us to look at them and go, how could they not get it? But we are wrestling with some things that they are not wrestling with that make us sometimes miss what God is doing. So Jesus just lays it out for him. He says, I'm going to be killed. 
And you would think the disciples, you know, some of them, at least some of them would walk up and put their arm around him and say, you know, get somber and say, man, I'm here for you. Or that sounds awful. Or tell me, how I, what can I do for you? How can I help? And they, they didn't. There wasn't a listener in the bunch. You know, sometimes it makes you wonder, why did he pick these guys? But I know why he picked those guys. Because that's me. I'm like them. They're like me. And let's, let me tell you something. If you're not thinking that, let me break it to you. Yes, you are. You are like them. And they are like you. And I think, I think sometimes in my life, I think I get it. I think I know what God's doing. And then I realize oftentimes my own expectations have gotten in the way. I haven't surrendered to God's plan and purpose. And he does something that's totally different from what I expected. And I keep forgetting that God's way of doing things clashes with what I might think is most efficient, what I might think is the best practice. Have you ever felt that way? Sometimes maybe you're praying and you say, God, this is so simple. If you just do this, it will solve it all. And he doesn't do this. And it's like, what? Will you please listen to me? I got it figured out. You know, we think that. We think we know exactly what's best and exactly how it should happen. And God does different because he knows more than us. But this is the human condition. We think we know what our story is and how it should go, and reality keeps intervening and jarring us, and our story can collapse. And we have this experience where you think you know what's going on. You think you know exactly how things are supposed to be working. And then in a moment, you just realize, I got it wrong. It's, or you just think, I'm not, it's not happening. I love this uh, as an illustration. I read this a while back, and, and I, I, I may be a true story. <laughs> That's a great way to introduce the story, right? This might be true. I'm just being honest. So this man and this woman have been married for about 60 years, and they shared everything. They had no secrets from each other, except this woman kept this little shoebox up, up in the closet, up on the shelf, and she kept telling him all the years they were married, don't touch that. Don't look in that. That's totally mine, and I'm not, just leave it alone. And he honored that. He honored that. And so one day, you know, they've been married for 60 years. They go to the doctor, and the doctor gives them the bad news, her sickness. She's not going to get over this. This will be terminal at some point. And so he's getting their affairs in order, you know, doing all this stuff. And so he, said, he, he sees the box, and he tells her, you know, what, what should I do with this? She, says, she said, you know what? You can look at it now. And see, so he opens the box, and there's two little crochet dolls and $95,000 in cash. And he says to her, what? What is this? What is this? And she said, well, when we got married, my grandmother pulled me aside. And she said, whenever there's an argument or something that he does that you just can't get over, crochet a doll. Just crochet a doll. It's good therapy, and you'll get you'll get through it. And he starts tearing up and he goes, 60 years, two dolls, just two dolls in 60 years. What a woman. He goes, but what's with the money? She goes, oh, each time I crocheted one, I sold it at the craft fair for five bucks. <laughs> so you think you know the story, but that's the human condition. And we think we know our story. But oftentimes we don't. And sometimes our story takes us places we never thought we'd go. Sometimes it takes us places we never want to go. We find ourselves walking a road 
that we never dreamed would be part of our path. And it's difficult, and it's depressing, and it's overwhelming. And so what happens? What happens when you feel like my story's going wrong? Because we're all living out our story. Everybody has one. Every story, we're looking for an ending. And so what we have to do, what's important for us is figure out what is my story? What is my story in light of what God is doing? And so we see this in uh, Mark chapter 10. Again, just, uh, just after Jesus tells them, you know, they're just such thoughtful disciples. Right as soon as he tells them that um, he's going to die, James and John come to him. In verse 35, then, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, isn't that an interesting statement? If you're a parent, you've bumped into this statement. If you're a parent, you've had a day when one of your children, when they were younger, said, I want to ask you for something, and I want you to promise to say yes. One of my kids tried that, and I was like, you know, there's no hope for you. What kind of, you think I'm going to go for this? You know, and, but look, it's, here's two adults. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory, You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? What is he saying there? He's saying, do you realize what you're asking? You don't even realize what you're asking. I wonder how many times we go to God in prayer and God is going, you do not realize what you are asking. If I did that, it would ruin you. It would ruin you. And he says, you can't drink this cup. And, that, and the word cup is such a loaded word. There's so much meaning. So I, I need to just look at that for just a moment because it's Holy Week. So they're coming up on Passover. And so if he says cup, they're thinking, oh, okay, at the Passover celebration, there's, there's four cups they drink. And each one means something very specific about how they were rescued from Egypt. It, 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 you know, and, so they're sell- and then there's a fifth cup. And the fifth cup, they do not drink. Uh, the fifth cup, they called it Elijah's cup. They get it from a passage in Jeremiah where it talks about the cup of my wrath, God talks about, the cup of my wrath that's going to unfold at some point. And, uh, and so they called it Elijah's cup because they believed that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And they figured Elijah, the Messiah is going to bring the wrath for sure. So Elijah will tell us what to do with this cup. Because if you have a cup that is the wrath of God, I'm not drinking from it. I'm not drinking. That's a loaded, that's a nuclear cup. And even in the Passover celebration at one point, that that cup they haven't drank from, the father goes to the door and says, let the wrath of God be poured out on all the nations, which in a very peaceful celebration is kind of a jarring statement. And so they have this fifth cup that is the wrath of God. And they're waiting for Elijah to come and tell, us, tell them what to do with it. And then we hear this, and we'll get, the, you know, next week we'll talk about this a little more. When Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he goes a second time and says, Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. What is Jesus talking about? The fifth cup. He's talking about the fifth cup, the cup of God's wrath. And he's saying, I don't want to drink it. So when Jesus says here, are you ready to drink the cup that 
that I'm going to drink. He's telling them, look, I'm talking about my death. This is going to cost. I just told you I'm going to die. And they're like, oh, sure. A little later, they just say, oh, whatever. Yeah, we can do it, Jesus. We can drink the cup you're going to drink. Because they don't get it. They don't understand what he's talking about. they're, They're totally missing. He's plain. Then he uses an illustration. They keep missing it. They want power in this new kingdom. They think God's plan and God's kingdom is going to be like all the other kingdoms they've seen in the past or what they're seeing now. You know, I'm sure sometimes they're like, we're not sure what he's talking about, but but they can see after he's talking to them here, we're coming to a climax. Something big is going to happen. So what do they do? We need to fandango our seats. We need to be on the right and the left. We need to get those puppies saved ahead of time because these 10 other losers are all going to be jockeying for position too. So they're like, Jesus, we want to ask you a favor. Please say yes, right? We want to be on the two positions of power, on the right and on the left. I want to be your prime minister, and I want to be your treasurer. That's what they're asking him. And Jesus is like, you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. I've turned the organizational chart upside down. The first is last. The last is first. He tells them a little later as he's talking about rulers. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He tells them, there's the organizational chart. The people on the bottom are the ones I honor. They're the most important ones, the ones that serve. The people that come and do things that that happen in the background. The people that, I mean, just as, for instance, people who brew coffee and set up chairs and, 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 and wash the floors and take the trash out. And He says, those are the important ones. Those are the ones I'm watching, I'm glorifying, I'm, I'm blessing. It doesn't mean the people who do, I hope it doesn't mean the people who do things that are seen, like speaking, they don't get anything. I hope it doesn't mean that. I don't think it means that. But he says, I want to have servants. That's, what, that's where it all comes from. And so for us in our lives, what I keep thinking, I have to keep thinking is, I'm a servant, I'm a servant, I'm a servant. I'm a servant to a person who comes in who maybe has plenty of money. I need to serve them. And when a drunk shows up at the door, I need to serve him or her. I need to be a servant because that's what God's called me to do. And it doesn't matter if anyone's watching. It doesn't matter if anyone sees it. I have to do that. And I'm not good at it. And I struggle with it. James and John had a corporately upward mindset. And Jesus had a servanthood, downward mindset. And sometimes I admit, I pray this way like James and John. I put myself at the center. I have this false expectation that somehow maybe I've been good or, you know, I'm really doing well in things. I've been a good Christian. So, I mean, I'm coming with extra power on this prayer, God. And that's not true. Because all I'm doing then is I'm thinking in a corporate, upwardly mobile mindset I'm above some people, so I get more. That's not true. That's not true for me. It's not true for you. And false expectations from people are all the way through the last week of Jesus, all the way through the last week of his life. If you read any of the Gospels, you'll see this. I mean, just one, for instance, and I I know from some of you, you know this, but this is important, I think, for us to look at. The triumphal entry, you know, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, and people are shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. 
But what are they saying there? First of all, understand this. Jerusalem is packed. It's not the people of Jerusalem as much as it's all these pilgrims that are there. They estimate that, that Jerusalem around that time had fifty to 80,000 people who lived there permanently. But on Passover week, it could swell to over a million easily. So there's all these people, but they're people from all over. They've heard about this Jesus guy. They've heard not too long ago, the rumor is he raised some guy from the dead. So they're like, what? What? You know, it's pretty handy if you're going to raise an army, if your lead general can bring the dead to life, like a Game of Thrones kind of, you know, it's, they're thinking, whoa, this is handy. This is good. Let's make him ruler. And so it says they waved palm branches and they shouted Hosanna. Now, why did they wave palm branches? I mean, think about it. There's different trees. Why not olive tree branches? What? And here's why. A couple hundred years before the Greeks had conquered the Jews, and the, uh, Jew, the Greeks, the ruler they put in charge there was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was an evil man. He did some terrible, terrible stuff, and he oppressed the Jews, slaughtered many. It, it was, he did everything. They hated him. They hated him. So there was a man who said, I've had enough. His name was Judas Maccabeus. And he got his, first he got his family together, and they started a little guerrilla campaign, and it grew, and it grew. It lasted nine years. And they won. They kicked the Greeks out, and they got their autonomy back. You know, they got their freedom. And so they memorialized this. And the symbol of their victory was a palm branch. That was their symbol of victory, of killing and kicking out the Greeks. So when these people say, save us, and they wave a palm branch, they're saying, Save us from the Romans. They're asking for a temporal, earthly, physical freedom from Roman oppression. In fact, it is such a symbol. I'll show you. Uh, there's, there you can, there's coins that were minted back then when Judas Maccabeus was in charge and afterwards that commemorated the victory. There's one of them. And there's the other one. You see, his palm branches. It's palm trees. It, that's what they, they commemorated it with. Those, and so it's kind of funny. Now, I, mean, I might be happening in Kids Club today. It, it's kind of funny that people think, oh, it's good. You know, it's, it's, it's a Holy Week. You know, it's Palm Sunday, and little kids come out of Sunday school waving little palm branches, and, and it looks very peaceful and wonderful and children and all goodness and light, except when you realize what those, those branches mean. Let's go kill Romans. We killed the Greeks, now let's kill the Romans. And Jesus, we want you to be our general. We want you to be our general. And so what happens there? They missed it. They wanted salvation, but they wanted an earthly salvation, and Jesus was bringing something that was so much more. He's bringing an eternal salvation, a supernatural salvation. And so... This happens so many times, we get it wrong. Our expectations, our focus is on the wrong thing. We lose sight of what God is doing because it doesn't fit our plans, our ideas of what should happen. Sometimes, I just want God to save me from the life I have, right? What is your life like? Maybe save you from the relief of carpooling. 
give you total relief from carpooling or traffic or aging or not having to give money to the IRS or relief from being disorganized or relief from being chronically overscheduled. Whatever it is, we have ideas of what we'd like God to save us from. And we have to understand that those things may not match up with his plan. And that's where we have to go. Why? Because he tells us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In that passage, in Isaiah 55, what happens? God is speaking to Israel, and he's, he's been taught. They've been in the middle of some terrible things, and he's telling them, this is the kind of God I am. I'm the God that loves you. I'm the God that comforts you. I'm the God that seeks you. I'm the God that welcomes you with open arms. I'm the, when all this is going wrong, I'm here for you. And they're like, how can that be? And he says, because my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. <clears throat> Mine are higher. Why? Because I'm eternal. I see the whole plan. I see the whole plan. I see, I see how things are going to unfold. I see that this terrible thing right here is going to lead to something here that's, e- that's even greater. So trust me. Trust me on that. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit opens our minds to a new paradigm. God's way of doing things. His way of working is always a step beyond me. It's always a step beyond what I, with my human perspective, can imagine is happening. And sometimes that kind of other paradigm throws us for a loop, just like it did with James and John, just like it did with the crowds. They had ideas, and they were missing. They were missing. They were expecting one thing, and Jesus was bringing another. And maybe you've been expecting God to come through for you in a certain way. And it hasn't happened. Or maybe it's in the past, and it didn't happen. And maybe you're experiencing disillusionment in your faith right now, disappointment with God. There's this kind of disconnect, this confusion about what God's doing in your life. Because you had this thought, your expectation, it was going to be this, this was going to happen, this is what my prayers are about. And instead, it seems like God did nothing, or he did the opposite, or just a different outcome that I didn't want and I wasn't expecting. And it's draining my joy. I want to tell you, you can take heart. You can take heart. Why? Because Scripture is full of this kind of confusion in people, in people who followed God. It's full of disappointment with people who were trying to follow God, of not getting God's plan. It happens all the time in Scripture. Those questions and that kind of disillusionment are the story of Holy Week. I sometimes, instead of calling it, I mean, Holy Week is what we call it. I like to call it Other Week. What I mean by that is the word holy, especially in the Hebrew, is this idea. It's this idea of something that has been totally set apart. It's wholly different. It's other. The root of the word really has this idea of something other, something that's beyond us. And that's what God is, because he tells, he tells us, that's what, like, you can't, you're not going to understand me. It doesn't mean holy like pure or perfect or sanitized or bleached. It means different. It means other. Hard to anticipate or understand. A totally other way of looking. A completely other dimension. A whole other way of doing things as opposed to the human way of doing things. And so when we call it Holy Week, sometimes for me, I like to say it's, it's, it's celebrating Other Week because that was such a surprise for them. And there are times in our lives where God brings in, He does things different. It totally catches us off guard. 
And the other week for those disciples was disappointing, disillusioning, and confusing. I mean, if you know anything about their story, by the end of the week, they'd run away. They wept. They feebly fought back, and then they gave up. They hid themselves, trembling with fear in a little room. Why? Because in those days, there'd been other people who said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, and tried to lead an up, a, 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 um, a revolt. And what would happen? Rome would come in and kill the leader and then hunt down the followers. Um, I mentioned this the other day. When Jesus was about 13 to 15 years old, there was a huge uprising in Galilee. Thousands of people. They defeated a, a Roman garrison, and then Rome came in and just slaughtered. And what did they do? They captured a couple thousand men, and they crucified every one of them, at least three per village in all of Galilee, to say, this is what happens to following a Messiah. This is what happens to challenging Rome. So the disciples go and hide. Why? Because they think they're next. The crackdown is coming. So we got to find a place to hide. Because what happened was not what they wanted. God was doing so something that was so other that it looked to them as a failure. It looked like the end of everything they'd invested their lives in. And the truth is that what may seem like a failure or a disconnect from God in your life is simply that he's working out your story and it's different than you expected. And your story isn't over yet because the resurrection is coming. That's our hope. The resurrection's coming. Your resurrection morning may be just around the bend. God has more to write in your your life, your story. And so it means he's up to something. He's doing something that is other, and you just aren't recognizing it at the moment. But you will with time. James and John uh, were expecting Jesus would give them the best seats in the house if they were successful Christians, in a sense. The crowds expected Jesus to be another Judas Maccabeus and to take Rome, kick Rome out by force. In our paradigms, our expectations can blind us to Jesus' presence, oftentimes right among us. I've told you this before. I've been stunned by this a couple times, um, sometimes with some of the homeless guys that I, I meet with and talk with and see, and, and um, just every once in a while, talking to a drunk, homeless guy, and he'll say something that will rock me to my core, and I will know it's from God. And it's like God is saying, Bob, I can speak through anything. I can speak through anyone. I spoke through an ass. And I think there's a lot more. Sometimes you see him on TVs that, that think he's speaking through them. And he says, I can speak through this guy, so listen to him. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to listen to a drunk person ramble. But sometimes God speaks. And it's not who I expect him to speak through. And so I need to listen. And so what do we need to do? We need to let go of our preconceived notions of how God will work, when God will work, 
through whom God will work and to what end. We need to allow ourselves to stretch out to see Jesus in places that oftentimes we would cynically reject. Because God works through anyone, at any time, in any place. You know, it's difficult sometimes teaching every week um, something new every week. And, and uh, sometimes you think it's, you know, I'm in my office and I'm going, oh, this is so good. I'm so excited. And then, and then as I'm getting up and speaking, I'm going, uh, I'm a million things going through my mind. It's not flowing. It's not working out well. Ah, I'm missing it. I'm missing it. And sometimes stepping down off here and thinking, that was crap. Um, not, not always terrible, but it's just, ah, I feel like I missed it some. It wasn't that good. Da, da, da. And then go out and have somebody pull me aside and say, how did you know? That's exactly what I needed today. Thank you. And that's when I have to be honest and say, don't thank me, because <laughs> I screwed it up. Thank God. Somehow he made the message get through to you. This was the message for you. And it's like God every once in a while just reminds me, God, I, God always reminds me, Bob, I don't need you. You're not that important. I can get along quite fine without you. Thanks. And I have to understand that. Because he can work in ways that we just can't imagine. And so maybe for you, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an idea of sometimes now stretching yourselves as a little, stretch yourself a little bit. Do something you wouldn't normally do. Maybe it's deciding, you know, for some people to start coming to church regular, maybe to get involved in the church. Maybe you don't want to get involved because you don't like organized religion. Well, I got great news for you. We're not organized. And we're not that religious. This is really true. A few years ago, this guy, this pastor friend of mine, he goes, so what's going on at First Church, Bob? What are you doing new? I said, this is what we're going to do. This is about five years ago. Some of you here remember this. I said, we're going to start trying to start on time. And he looked at me like, that's what, that. I said, you don't know how big that is for us. Because we still aren't doing it. <laughs> I mean, we, it's just total failure, right? And so this is who we are. Take us or leave us. This is the way it is. But maybe God's calling you to that. Maybe God is uh, asking you, just give me a chance. Maybe God's saying, take a leap. Get involved in something. You never know. You might find Jesus there. Don't decide ahead of time what God will or will not do. Stretch yourself sometimes. Try something new. Maybe it's as simple as this. Maybe it's as simple as asking someone to pray for you. You're struggling with something inside, and you really haven't shared it, and you just ask somebody to pray for you. Or you can write it on a three-by-five card. If it's so personal, fine. Write it on a three-by-five card. Don't sign your name. Leave it in that, and people will pray for you this week, next week, the next week. You specifically will be prayed for. We have people who have dedicated themselves to do that. This is an awesome opportunity to tap into the power of God, to help have him help you see what he's doing when you can't see it. So asking someone to pray, maybe trying something that's so other, so different. Maybe it's just asking for help. And then begin to look for Jesus to show up in the middle of these things. Look for Jesus at your workplace, in your home, in your family. Try to recognize him there. Understand that he may speak in ways that, through people that you wouldn't expect. Be ready for surprises. You know, 
as you get older, this is normal, you know, and, and I think about this, I was thinking about this this week and, and, and last couple of weeks and this other week that's coming up, you, you understand that life is short. And, um, and it sounds morbid, but I just, I'm just trying to be aware of the fact that, that you know, my death, be aware of that. And, and what I mean by this is then to begin to live in the moment and understand how precious moments are. Uh, one of my kids came by the other day, and we were talking, and I just thought, I love this kid. So, they're adults. <laughs> I love this adult. It's my kid. Yeah, I love this kid, yes. I love this kid so much. And this is so awesome to be right here, right now, in this moment, talking with this person. Thank you, God. I love this. Being in the moment because I want to have the mind of Christ. You know what blows me away? You could do this for other week, for Holy Week. Starting at John chapter 12 through the end of John, it's all this week. From John 12 on, it's all this week. And we know that Jesus just told his disciples, I'm about to die. And watch if you read John 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, as you read those, those passages, and maybe take one chapter a day, that's not too much, think, he knows he's going to die. He, how is he acting in light of that? How does he act in light of his impending death? And watch what he does. Watch what he does. Read what he does. And so, I'm trying to discipline myself a little bit to be like that to go through a day not expecting it to happen again and again and again. And it's interesting. You would think that would make you kind of sad and dreary, like, Ugh. It isn't. It makes you joyous. You appreciate stuff. You see stuff that you didn't see before. I notice things. I notice people. I notice animals. I notice flowers. I notice loving gestures that people make with each other, even if it's not involving me. I just notice it because I'm looking for that kind of stuff. I notice good conversation and celebrate good conversation. This week, this is other week. Look for God in your story. Look for how he may be doing something that is so different and so other that it would be easy for you to miss. Look past your expectations and your desires and your wants and think about him, and allow him to work. Maybe get involved in what he's doing. Live your life like it won't last forever. Because that's how most of us live. We just expect everything to get a little better, a little better, and on and on and on forever. Live your life like it won't last forever, and appreciate and develop that thankfulness as you see God working. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. That almost 2,000 years ago, this day was the day he started his last week on earth. And he went into it with purpose and meaning and joy and thankfulness. He taught and he loved. He worked with people. He served others. God, help us to be that kind of a person because we know that's what changes the world. 
And it would, there's nothing greater we can do, Lord, help us to see that than to change this world. We thank you for the salvation that Jesus accomplished for us that is so free and full. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the people around us, to see needs, to get involved, to be a part of what you're doing on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.